This is in the news from the Irish Times. I'm Bernice Harrison. Today. He has to be fired immediately. They cause damage. We cause damage to them. Controversial landlord Mark Goddard. Now, voice memos and internal documents show how Goddard runs his rental property empire with ruthless efficiency and punishes workers who cooperate with Irish authorities. It is quid pro quo. He can uh, retain all his salary and get him out immediately. The audio reveals how Goddard claims laws in his native Luxembourg apply to his Irish employees. The reason is that we don't want to be exposed to any prosecution if we do not get along with an employee or a person that works for us. The investigation by Naomi O'Leary of the Irish Times also reveals how Goddard tried to establish new companies under the identities of people his employees found online so he could avoid scrutiny. You do not know about this here in Ireland. You have never worked here in the properties. You have no idea about it. Naomi O'Leary, welcome back to the podcast. Hi, Bernice. Great to be with you. Regular listeners to In the News will know who Mark Goddard is. He's a Dublin-based landlord from Luxembourg who has come to attention for his aggressive business tactics. But Naomi, can you quickly remind us why he is controversial and why his activities are newsworthy? Sure. So Mark Goddard is a landlord who operates a quite large property rental business. He's increasingly come to notice, initially it was for evictions of tenants, um, quite ruthless evictions. And that media attention has led to other revelations, including a number of disputes in the Residential Tenancies Board. In a story earlier this year, we revealed the inner workings of his large rental operation and the rather ruthless tactics used on tenants. After our first day in the house, he sent us a eviction letter. Yeah, five people from the agency came to the apartment. They start to taking out the, the, the bed, the mattress. He just think about money, you know. He looks uh, people just like money. It's actually grown to be quite a huge organization. So as of last summer, there were 37 different people working in it. And there's also a number of people who are employed outside of Ireland, places like El Salvador, uh, Colombia, Mexico, Nigeria, Morocco, places like that. They're given the tasks of handling communications with tenants, drawing up paperwork for the company, that kind of thing. Let's start with one of those properties. It's on Railway Street in Dublin 1, in the heart of Dublin city centre. It's managed by Goddard. Last June, Dublin City Council inspected the building. Your investigation reveals what happens next within Goddard's operation. He wasn't happy, as we can read in internal messages and hear on voice memos. For our listeners, can you describe the interactions that took place? Sure. So this is the latest cache of internal documents to be leaked from within the Goddard organisation. And in it, we see the course of events after Dublin City Council inspectors appeared in a property that was being operated by Mark Goddard on Railway Street. An employee noticed on a CCTV camera that was watching the kitchen area that there were strangers in the house. Clipboards, they appeared to be Dublin City Council. So what we can see in the CCTV footage is that inspectors have um, entered the property and we can see them measuring walls and things. And what appears to have happened is that they've encountered a cleaner who doesn't speak English 
and she has put them on the phone to her manager or supervisor, who's the person in charge of managing cleaning crews, and they've been dealing with him. That CCTV was then inspected by Mark Goddard, and the way he reacted was really furious. Uh, the reaction has to be proportional to the action. And the damage caused is so substantial that we have to uh, make sure people um, realize what, what they've done. He was furious with the two employees that were connected at all with the incident. He messed up. He was talking to the um, council. The cleaner didn't understand what the guy was talking in English. She doesn't speak English. So after seeing the CCTV footage in a series of internal communications with workers, uh, Mark Goddard orders the immediate firing of both the cleaner and the manager who spoke to Dublin City Council inspectors on the phone. He gave the order to open the door to let them in. So it's on him. He has to be fired immediately, removed everywhere, pay with, with health and full registry of fines applied. The cleaner, on the other hand, did what he said. So I think this cleaner should be fired as well to send the right signal. He says, you know, they've done damage to us, so we need to do damage to them. I want those people removed. They cause damage, we cause damage to them. It is quid pro quo. He's asked to be understanding that um, people from Latin America, who are some of the employees involved in this case, feel that they need to comply with authorities because they're afraid of deportation or falling afoul of the law. Um, but he's not sympathetic. We don't know enough details to be sure. So to be sure, it's both. Too bad for them. He orders their pay to be stopped immediately, for them not to be paid for the prior month, actually. And he even tries to get um, them to work an extra few days. So kind of suggests they shouldn't be given notice until another few days because they need the cleaner, for example, to work on the weekend. But then she should be cut off uh, without pay. The workers that are told to do that actually refuse to. They let the employee go without making them work additional days for free. It's really interesting because, you know, According to Dublin City Council, like their authorised officers have the right to access properties. Um, so in some cases, this would appear to be in conflict with what, you know, the duties of those people might might be. I also agree that it is a bit weird to punish somebody to do what the authorities want you to do. That's why my guideline of not publishing a reason for the removal of the people just say your contract has been uh, ended, that's it, and let them do whatever they like to do against us if they feel so. We can see from the chats that two people have been monitoring the CCTV. One was the manager who specifically had that task to watch the CCTV and check for unusual things. Um, but then it was actually a different person who spotted the inspectors. So the first employee who had had the task of monitoring the CCTV was punished as well. So the higher ups need to suffer the consequences of their failure of education, of clarity, of not giving instruction, of not assuring people. Goddard ordering for her wages to be docked 100 euro for the oversight, for not having flagged it immediately in real time. It cannot work 
that in an in a situation of of seriousness you say okay great so I, I i forget everything i should do and i just look after myself that's like a bodyguard just running away or a soldier throwing in the arm they are hired to do a job and part of that job is closing this door so that's how the conversation goes down Goddard so annoyed about Dublin City Council officials inspecting the property. He's furious about people having access to the property. Now, I asked Dublin City Council for comment on this and they confirmed they inspected a property on Railway Street on the 6th of June last year by environmental health officers and that they have, as authorised officers of Dublin City Council, they have the right to enter uh, properties in the course of their work. They said on this occasion, it appeared that the property wasn't occupied. It wasn't, didn't have active tenants. So they didn't pursue any action. But that same month in June of 2023, as we previously reported in the Irish Times, several properties of Mark Goddard's were issued with fire safety notices. So it's possible he was on alert for this kind of enforcement at the time. He actively said the wrong thing, and a crazy wrong thing. Of course, you cannot give access to anybody. How can he do that? How can he say that? You've listened to a huge amount of these voice memos. Can you say something about his attitude in them? What's his managerial style? He's quite forthright. What you see from the chats and the messages is that he believes very strongly in monetary incentives and disincentives. So he uses particularly fines, docking people's pay a lot. People that are not um, managing the right way that, that has to be changed. So this can be a fine now or something else you may come up with. And it's not as annoying as a fine, but which has possibly more future value. If she's managing like that, she can't do anything. She's fucking up. So quite a lot of the chats concern, you know, he's annoyed because, for example, in one case, he couldn't find a file when he wanted it. And so due to that, he orders and employees uh, pay to be docked by 50 euro and as much as 100 euro more unless she organises the files. It's quite ruthless. All of these deductions for pay are actually set out in a contract and a couple of documents that we have seen. When I say employees, I should really say workers because these people don't have proper employment contracts. They're not being paid um, with, for example, PRSI payments and so on. They're employed as like freelance contractors. And the the employment relationship that's set out in the Goddard Company documents states that they can be liable for fines for all kinds of reasons. Um, so, for example, being 10 minutes late to a WhatsApp call could result in a fine of five euro. And if it's 20 minutes late, it's 10 euro. It's very meticulous. If they, if they don't give a daily update on their activities on the WhatsApp group, it's another fine. Um, and it's also leaves open to just arbitrary fines. So it just says, you know, if your performance isn't satisfactory um, or if you don't answer the phone, you can be docked uh, pay as well. The people who are being employed uh, tend to be young. They're in their early 20s. A lot of them are people in Ireland on student visas, uh, which, by the way, means that they shouldn't be working as freelance contractors because that's actually not allowed under that kind of visa. One thing that's very curious, they say that the terms in the contracts obey Luxembourg law. 
But what's that got to do with people who work in Ireland? Surely that is not legal. Right. So according to the documents that we have, um, those contracts were altered to read that sometime during 2023. Um, So Mark Goddard sent a voice note instructing that contracts with the workers should from that point on not be with Green Label Property Limited, um, Investments Limited or any of his Irish companies, but should rather be with Itzig Sarl. That's the Luxembourg company, one of the Luxembourg companies um, that his family owns. Um, and he gave the reason for that in the voice message. The reason is that we don't want to be um, exposed to any uh, prosecution if we do not um, get along with an employee or a person that works for us. If we specify the Luxembourgish law applies and we pay from a Luxembourgish account, we're not exposed to any potential prosecution if we get into a dispute with an employee or a worker. So we can see in these contracts, they rep, they're, they're a little bit familiar. If you've seen the contracts that tenants have to agree to, to, to live in a Mark Goddard property, they're very, very specific and very lopsided in terms of like all the rights and the privileges with the company and the worker really has very little. Just as an example of that, the company reserves the right to fire anybody, get rid of anybody with seven days notice. But on the employee side, the way it's written, it suggests that, you know, they're hired for a 12 month period. And if they seek to leave before the end of the 12 months, the company will withhold the last 30 days of pay. The contract states that the working hours are between 10 a.m. and 7 p.m. Irish time. And it also says that workers need permission to work remotely. So, Although there were workers working all over the world, people in, you know, Colombia and Mexico and all these places, the core of the Goddard operations is a physical office um, operating in Dublin. People are there. At times it's been based in Reuben House, sometimes on Westmoreland Street. And all these contract workers are, you know, going in there. They don't get paid for breaks, um, but, you know, they have an, a physical office environment. So in many ways they appear like employees. Mark Goddard may be ruthless in how he deals with his staff, but is he breaking any rules? Claire Bruton is a barrister specialising in employment law. Claire, we've seen the contracts signed by people working for Mark Goddard in his properties, where they're described as independent contractors. But the documents make it clear that they're expected to work the same hours every day and are subject to very strict working conditions. Would a person employed in these circumstances, legitimately be considered an independent contractor? Or are they simply employees and therefore should have employees' rights? The reality of the situation is the way in which it would be looked at by a court or tribunal deciding whether they're employees. In reality, they're probably employees because they're controlled by Mark Goddard's company, told when to work, where to work. They don't provide any of their own equipment. They don't provide substitutes. You know, they have to get agreement to get annual leave. They have to notify about sick leave, etc. So the fact that the contracts may classify them as independent contractors is irrelevant. The reality of the situation would be looked at. And it's probably highly likely that they are, in fact, uh, employees and therefore would be entitled to all of the protections of Irish employment law uh, and employment statutory rights, such as minimum notice, sick pay, the right not to be unfairly dismissed after your service, etc. So I suppose boiling it down 
to it. The classification as an independent contractor is not definitive and the reality of the situation is looked at. We also saw that the contracts say the law of Luxembourg applies to this arrangement. Is it legitimate for a contract to stipulate that Luxembourgish law applies when the work and the office is in Ireland? The answer to this question is very clearly no. Um, Because the employees are working in Ireland covered by Irish employment law as a matter of European law, they are entitled to choose the law that governs our contract of employment, whichever is more preferable. So if, for example, Luxembourg law is more preferable than Irish law, they would be entitled to rely on uh, Luxembourg law, but then they'd have to go to the Luxembourg tribunals, employment tribunals, to, to assert their rights. So the fact that the contracts say that they're governed by Luxembourg law is irrelevant, and in reality they would be entitled to bring claims in Ireland before the Workplace Relations Commission or the Labour Court and rely on Irish law, notwithstanding the fact that the contracts purportedly uh, apply Luxembourg law. When a contract contains a clause that forbids a worker from allowing anyone to enter a property, but they do it, they do, they let someone in, and that someone is an authority, as happened here with Dublin City Council, can the worker legally be fired and have their wages withheld for for just doing that? As a matter of law, if the employee is more than one year's service, they're governed by the Unfair Dismissals Act and are entitled to fair procedures such as the... uh, application of a disciplinary process before any termination of employment. So um, notwithstanding the terms of the contract, they're still entitled to fair procedures prior to any dismissal. In other words, they cannot be summarily dismissed from their jobs. It's also likely that Dublin City Council had a right to be let into the property. In other words, it was a legal entitlement on the part of the Dublin City Council fire inspectors to have access to the property. It means that this clause would be unlawful anyway because the employees were merely allowing individuals who had a legal right to enter the properties to do so. So even that alone probably means that the contractual clause is unenforceable as well. Thanks very much, Claire. Again, it's something that's a little bit familiar from the rental contracts uh, that tenants sign. You know, some of the rental contracts just say that none of Irish law applies in this case or, you know, I'm paraphrasing, but, you know, they just say that, you know, housing rights don't apply to you. It seems like something similar is going on in this case. Um, you know, Goddard seems to to think that he can set up an entirely new legal working relationship uh, with these contractors who are working for him. And even though the operation is manifestly in Ireland, notwithstanding all that, he can just decide that it's actually a Luxembourg company, or that's at least what he would argue. Well, now the documents that you have, they show that employing people outside the country, as you say, people from Colombia, El Salvador, Mexico, Nigeria, Morocco, people who don't live in Ireland, but who nevertheless work for him in Ireland, that presents him with a bit of a problem in how to figure out how to pay them. He explored the possibility of setting up online bank accounts with false locations to facilitate this. Why did he do that? And, and, and why didn't it work? So what we can see from the documents is that for a certain amount of time, there was an arrangement whereby he would pay contract workers and then they would pass on payments to others. Apparently, according to documents I've seen, this was a common way of paying cleaners, for example. He seemed not to want to pay people directly from a company account, which would be the usual thing. Then when it came to the overseas payments, these presented a problem because they came with high fees. 
So what we see in a, an, an exchange uh, of communication between different workers in the Goddard operation is that one worker went to Western Union to try and transfer money to workers in Latin America. And they were informed by Western Union that um, salaries can't be sent over Western Union um, because they need to see proof that um, taxes are being paid in the relevant jurisdictions, both the country of origin and the country of receipt. So that ran aground and then there was a discussion about what to do. So in these communications, Mark Goddard suggests um, that a Revolut accounts should be set up in Ireland for these workers that are based in Latin America. Yeah, overall, my preferred choice would be to open them Revolut accounts in Europe. We have no fees, we have no risk. It will, it will always work, it will be easy. He says, you know, we have their ID, um, we have their passports, give them an address. Uh, he suggests the address of Woodfield, which is one of his properties, and set up Revolut accounts for them. This is investigated. Um, he, he's warned by one of his workers that, you know, this could potentially be legally tricky. But, you know, they're told to go ahead. They try and do it. Um, but they come up short because both Revolut and Wise need an Irish SIM card and to do a video call with an Irish SIM card to confirm identity. Goddard is told this and then responds, OK, there's an easy way. There's an easy solution. Um, send them Irish SIM cards. But from the indications of these communications, they, they weren't actually able to do this in the end. So they seem to have found another way forward. You say there uh, that one worker raised a query with him about this, obviously feeling that this is simply not the right way to, to do business in Ireland. Do you get a sense that the other workers that he's he's dealing with, they simply don't know the rules in Ireland? Is that it? Well, what's interesting is that although these um, people who were working for him are, you know, they're quite young, they might be from other places, you repeatedly see pushback against the things that Goddard is ordering, particularly, you know, treatment of workers, um, orders to dock pay, deduct pay, things like that. You know, repeatedly when it comes to the these issues about using other identities, because the payment issue is not the only time when this happens. So the document suggests that this solution was reached for a number of times. For example, the Goddard operation seems to have run into trouble with Airbnb. Their properties were getting such low reviews that Airbnb was not showing them anymore in search results, according to the communications that we had. So the solution that was suggested for that was that employees were told to find, if they could, friends or family members who might be willing to allow their passport and identity to be used to set up an Airbnb account. And then this account would then be used for the Goddard properties. And we have a series of chats where worker says that he's found a friend who's willing to do it. He sends over his passport details and an account set up under his name. And then he sends an invoice for 200 euro, which is then paid by Green Label Property Investments into his account. And he's told to keep 50 for himself and pass 150 on to his friend. So it seems to be not that unusual for as a solution for various problems. Coming up, how Mark Goddard tried to hide his involvement in his companies by paying strangers off the internet to become company directors. Naomi O'Leary, in your article in Saturday's Irish Times, you wrote, On October 21st last year, landlord Mark Goddard asked the workers running his Irish property operations about an advertisement seeking nominee directors. What are nominee directors and why was Mark Goddard looking for them? So in this case, what 
Mark Goddard has ordered his workers to do is to place an advertisement on Indeed, which is an online recruitment platform, which is looking for someone to serve as a director, a company director. The job description that's drawn up for this states that this person needs to be resident in either Ireland or the EU, but that they won't actually have any power over the company. So they won't have access to bank accounts and they won't have decision making power. Their role is limited to working only about eight hours a year and they'll be paid 50 euro per company filing and they'll have their costs covered if they need to travel to Ireland to complete formalities uh, related to being a, a director. He explains in text messages that the reason why he wanted to do this was because he didn't want the name, his name, Mark Goddard, or the name of Green Label Property Investments, which was his main company through which he'd been doing business in Ireland, to be associated with new property operations in Dublin because he feared the media attention. And what I've been told as well by several sources who are familiar with the situation is that the other issue was that he was actually running out of the number of roles and companies of directorships that he could hold himself. There's actually a limit under Irish law. And so he needed other people. And did it work? An advertisement was drawn up for Indeed. And what the company records show, the communications show, is that they got applications, they interviewed someone, then one of the workers informs uh, another, we have a new director, that they, they successfully found one, Mark has signed off, off on it, and that it's all go. So they seem to have at least found somebody who was willing to serve as a director. Does it show in your mind that he doesn't have the contacts in this country, that he couldn't, you know, rustle up some nominee directors of his own? He had done that, right? He'd used employees or people who had worked for him. But that seemed to become more and more difficult. And what we see in the communications is that relations with workers were increasingly breaking down. They were increasingly becoming very fraught. Like a lot of communications, you just see example after example where people are either threatening to quit or quitting. Um, you know, there seems to be a very bad work atmosphere. People complain of, you know, being micromanaged, being under a lot of pressure, being disturbed by messages. And there's understandably huge bad blood and bad, bad feeling about the whole docking of pay issue. And then on top of that, you know, multiple employees express concerns about the practices of this company. So in one example, um, a worker who had been working in the accounting area um, submitted her resignation and she said, I can't do this. She'd been asked to set up a third company. So on top of Valendale and Shinetop, a third company that would manage the Suffolk Street operations. And she'd also been asked to open a bank account for Shine Top. And she said, I can't do it. And she expressed the concern that a judge would see her as responsible. So clearly she had uh, concerns about the legality. She said, if you want to deduct my pay, you know, which is something that was kind of done as a standard practice for people who decided to quit, just tell me how much it is. Um, she didn't fight it. She just, she needed to leave. She needed to get out of that situation. I think something that may have seemed like a good idea to Goddard at the time, but may turn out to have been a really bad calculation is the docking of people's wages. Uh, because as this began to be done more and more, uh, wages being held back, um, entire months not being paid people, pe people being get let go without being paid the last month, it causes enormous resentment among employees. So that may have turned out to be a miscalculation.
From all these documents and voice memos that you got access to, there is occasionally a sense that Mark Goddard feels persecuted. (laughs) In one message, an employee refers to harassment by the Irish authorities. Yeah, it's interesting the way in which he describes the context in Ireland. So in, in response to the employee quitting that I just mentioned previously, he suggests that in future they should try to hire people that are based outside of Ireland for the quote-unquote dirty work. And he says that way, you know, they won't be infected by local leftist Irish views and that they won't care so much about the opinion of small Ireland. Now, you've put all of these points to Mark Goddard. Um, Has he responded at the time of recording? So I emailed Mark Goddard on Monday uh, last week with a list of basically all the allegations that there are in this article, you know, the search for nominee directors or paper directors, the use of other identities for Airbnb, just point by point everything that the article basically says. Um, So I sent him that email to an email address, which he's corresponded with me on before. So it's an active one. And then I followed up on WhatsApp and said, you know, I'm another article is coming. Want to make sure that you have an opportunity to comment and all the questions are with you now. And he did reply to me. So I, I know that he he saw that and he was aware that an article was coming. So we waited um, all week, you know, and hoping that that he would get back to us. But we didn't hear anything. So as of Thursday or Friday, I messaged again to say, you know, just to remind you, this article is coming and we'd really like to, you know, to hear your point of view. There's a standing invitation for you to come to talk to us. And then I finally on Friday said, just to let you know, you know, the story is backed up by audio recordings of you. Um, And that seems to have provoked a response because he wrote back to me on WhatsApp and said, how did you get that? You know, I never gave any um, authorization for recordings. You know, are you sure they're real? And he said, do not use any illicitly obtained information for your reporting and do not rely on information unless I have confirmed it is correct. Um, so I said, these aren't surreptitious recordings. Um, I've, and I said, I've, I've listed all of the claims that are in the reporting um, that's coming out in an email that I sent you on Monday. And that's, you know, that I've reiterated since. Um, and we are still awaiting your response to these claims. And he didn't reply. So he hasn't engaged at all on the substance or any of the detail of what the reporting includes. Needless to say, we'd still love to hear from him. Thanks very much, Naomi. That's it for today. We've covered the Mark Goddard story on previous episodes of this podcast, and you'll find them in your In the News feed. I'm Bernice Harrison. This podcast was produced by Declan Conlon and Suzanne Brennan. In the news, we'll be back tomorrow.